You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. tuned in this morning uh, via internet and we're glad you're with us today. If you will turn to Acts chapter 16 uh, as we continue to walk through uh, the book of Acts together. Um, a couple of uh, things I want to make you aware of as you're finding your place. First of all, uh, next Sunday uh, we'll be back on our regular schedule, 915, 1045. Uh, of course you're welcome to uh, be part of our services here on campus. And, of course, we'll be online if uh, you prefer uh, right now to watch online. That's fine as well. But if you want to be here and be on campus, we still have our chairs spread out just like we had before. Uh, we've had the building cleaned, and uh, we're ready to go. So if you want to be with us next Sunday, we will ask you to sign up so you'll get that notice. Uh, I think it's in your bulletin today, your online bulletin today, but you'll also get a notice to sign up later on this week. Sign up for whatever service you're going to come to. Second thing I want you to know about next week's service is I've got to get it out of my pocket here. Uh, next week, we are going to observe communion. Now, you may wonder how are we going to do that safely uh, with uh, all of the COVID restrictions and everything that we're trying to do to prevent the spread of that virus. How would we, how would we be able to observe communion? Well, we have a, a cup uh, and a, a piece of bread already prepackaged uh, for you to be able to pick up when you come in the door. So when you come in the door next week at both services, we'll see a table set up, and these uh, these little cups that are prepackaged, there's a little piece of bread on top that's already covered up and, and safe. Uh, they'll be spread out over the table, so the only one you'll touch will be the one that you pick up and take with you to your seat. If you don't want to observe communion or you're not a follower of Jesus, then, of course, don't pick one up. Uh, but if you want to participate in that next week, we worship together. Pick that up as you come in the door and just take it with you to your seat and keep it with you. Uh, and near the end of that service, we'll uh, observe together. Uh, when you get done uh, at the end of the service, if you would, take the trash with you over. There'll be a trash can next to the uh, exit door there. If you just throw that away, that would help us quite a bit. Uh, and we clean up in between services and also keep us from having to touch what you've touched and and all those things. So if you could help us with that, we would greatly appreciate it. But uh, as we've said before, um, regardless of what we have to face as a church, we're going to continue to worship, we're going to continue to minister, and we're going to continue to share the gospel. And of course, part of worship is our regular observance around the table. And although it'll look a little different than what we've done before, uh, the focus will be the same, and that is uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our participation in that, and our remembrance of that, uh, not only looking back, but looking forward to that day when we gather with him around that table in heaven. Acts chapter 16. You, you might read the text today, and maybe you, you've read it in advance, and you, you look at it and you go, well, there's just not a lot going on here. I mean, you have Paul, uh, Luke describing what Paul's doing. He's kind of traveling from one city to the next, continuing the work of the gospel. Um, and you may wonder, what is it we're going to focus on here? Because there's only really just a few things that are happening here. But 
But what's happening in Acts 16 in these few verses we're going to look at today is profoundly important. And it also gives us great insight into how Paul uh, was going from city to city. What kind of plan did he have? Uh, what, what was his... We, we know that his intentions were to, to share the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. We know that was his, his passion and what God had called him to do. But, but in the day-to-day, how did Paul decide where he was going to go? Did he just randomly go from town to town? Was there a strategy? Was there a plan? And what was the Holy Spirit's role in all of that? Um, I've had the opportunity to travel abroad many times, uh, both on mission trips and uh, as God was leading to uh, build our family. And in all of those trips um, that I had, whether it be in the jungles of Peru or China, I had a guide. I had a guide uh, in, in all of those situations that was absolutely critical uh, to each of those uh, places that I've been overseas. And it was so comforting to get off of a plane in your final destination. Uh, for China, that was Beijing. Get off of that plane that you've been on for many, many hours. It seems like you're in, like an entire week on a plane. And you walk into a you walk off of a plane that was relatively quiet, not a lot going on, and you, you walk into a, a Beijing airport that is absolute teeming with with activity and people everywhere. And it is it is overwhelming uh, from your senses to, to walk into that environment. And, of course, you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know anything. And you, you go through your baggage claim and security and, and all that you have to do with that, and then you walk out into the airport, the, the normal airport, the open airport, and it's just absolute chaos. And you're looking for one guy, or a couple of instances it was a young lady, and she's holding a sign that has my last name on it. And uh, I can't tell you how comforting that is. And, and, of course, you, you meet your God, and, and this person is going to be with you through the entire time of, of that particular city. And their job is to guide you, to help you with the language, uh, help you with any cultural issues. Uh, it's almost like a, like a personal assistant. just kind of guided me through all that needed to be accomplished. Uh, they, would, they would bring insight into things that were going on. I would have a lot of questions about you know, things in the city and about the culture and and this guy would, would give me that, that illumination or that instruction or that guidance while I was in that city. And even there were times where uh, the, the guide would even provide protection. Uh, crossing streets were, were very different because of the congestion and the number of people. And there would be times where the guy would like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't cross yet. As a, as a disciple of Jesus, I have a guide. The Bible talks about him quite a bit. And I, and I am convinced that, that this particular guide that I want to talk about today is, is one of the areas of our faith that we probably know the least about, maybe because we haven't preached and taught about it enough, uh, maybe because sometimes it makes us a little uncomfortable to know that, that God himself, his presence, his Holy Spirit himself lives in us. I think it makes us a little nervous at times. I think sometimes we, we're a little anxious about it because of some of the things we see uh, on media about the way other churches approach the ministry of the Holy Spirit and, and the way those things uh, play themselves out in, in other denominations and worship services. It makes us a little nervous, but I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit 
that aspect of, of us following Jesus is one of the areas that is both mysterious and that we, me, probably know the least about. Yet the Bible speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit and His work in our life. Two key chapters, John 14 and John 16, Jesus described Him as the Comforter, as a guide, as a counselor, as someone who will live in us, walk with us, guide us, illuminate our path, almost like a coach, a counselor, and a guide all wrapped up into one. And at the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. The fact is, the longer I live, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I want to know about the Holy Spirit. You know why that is? It's because of something Jesus said in John 15. It really wasn't even connected directly to the Holy Spirit, but it's been a verse that has reverberated in my mind for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and there'll be a period of time where I kind of uh, forget about it for a little while, then, then I come right back to it, and it's this verse. It's John 15, 16. It's Jesus talking about the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. And this is what he said. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It's those last four words. Yes, the first words were Jesus chose me, I didn't choose him. That, that he came pursuing me and he redeemed me, he forgave me, and he gave me brand new life. That is vitally important. But it's those last few words that I think at this stage of my life of, of following Jesus that I think the most about. It's that fruit that abides. Fruit that is going to last. The purpose of my life, the, the mission that I've been given, the ministry that I've been given, Jesus wants there to be lasting, abiding fruit. How do we do that? How do we... Do that? How do we, how do we uh, how do we allow ourselves to be used by Christ through the Holy Spirit where, where fruit is the result, but not just fruit that's here and gone, but I'm talking about fruit, real fruit that abides. That's the question that I'm asking myself over and over again, not just for me personally, but for this church, this body of believers. How can we have fruit that abides? We can't have it apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't have it apart from full and complete surrender and yieldedness to Him. So the longer I live, the more I realize that apart from the Holy Spirit, I can do nothing. But with all the, you know, the education and the seminary and the Bible college, and, and that, those things taught me a lot, gave me tools, uh, it gave me perspective, it gave me theological grounding and, and what a church is, what the gospel is, what the Bible has to say. and and all of those things, but I, I, have, I am more convinced now than I've ever been that, that without yieldedness to the Holy Spirit and His work in our life, we will never accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. That for the time we have on this earth, the time we've got left, we're here to make fruit, produce fruit, and fruit that abides, and that can only happen with the Holy Spirit. Paul understood that. So when we, th when we think about Paul's plans as he's, as he's making his way across Asia Minor, we think about 
what kind of plans did Paul make? Did he have like a, a committee meeting with him and Barnabas and, and John Mark, which we're going to talk about today? Did he sit down and say, okay, guys, here's the plan? We don't really have a lot of evidence of that. We just see Paul moving across from city to city, and no doubt the cities that he chose to visit were strategic. But what we're going to find out today, there was much, much more going on here than just Paul making plans. And see, there's got to be more in our church than us making plans. And we can make some great plans. And of course, I'm a planner, and you know that. And and we do plan, and we do look forward and put things on the calendar. We do those things. Listen, while those things are important and those things are needed, the most important thing that is needed is that we're guided and empowered, completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. We're going to bear fruit that abides. Paul after the Jerusalem Council that we looked at last week, where they, they settled the question. The question was, can, can Gentiles come into the kingdom, be saved, without being circumcised, without following the law of Moses? And that was a big question. Because the Jews said, no way. They, they've got to adhere to the law, and, and they have to have that outward bodily sign in their body of circumcision for them to actually be saved. And Peter and Paul and Barnabas and eventually James make a very strong statement that absolutely not. The circumcision is not required, that, that keeping the law is not required to be saved. And then they write a letter, and in that letter they include some things that they're going to ask the Gentiles to do. Not for, not for the, the purpose of gaining salvation, but for the purpose of being able to have unity with with the Jewish community who have come to faith in Christ also, for them to be able to live in unity and peace and be on mission together, the Gentiles were going to have to, to do some things and give up some things. Just like the Jews were being asked to accept Gentiles into their fellowship. This was a remarkable time in church history. Remarkable. Because you know the tension between the Jewish community and the Gentile community and how that both of them putting their faith in Jesus is now building a new community of people who were at once at odds. It's a remarkable time. So this answer that comes out of this Jerusalem council settles the question of what is required of Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God. And it's by faith alone, believing in Jesus alone, that their hearts and lives are transformed. It's by repenting and believing. But I want you to notice something in verse 39 of chapter 15. I've got to back up there just a little bit. It says, And there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas the encourager and Paul have been together now for quite a while, and they've been doing work together and ministry together, and they've been traveling all over the place together. But all of a sudden, there's time for them, there's an opportunity for them to now launch into this second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. If you remember, John Mark left during the first missionary journey and went back home. And that was a thing for Paul that, that just bothered him all this time. And when Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us, Paul says no. And there was a sharp disagreement among them. And what's interesting about this is you've got two men who are being led by the Holy Spirit who are being, who are being incredibly faithful to God's Word and faithful to the mission yet they disagree. 
So what does God do and what does the Holy Spirit end up doing here? Well, Barnabas takes John Mark with him and they go back to Cyprus. Paul adds Silas to his crew and Paul and Silas are going to go back and build up the churches that they'd already planted in places like Derby and Lystra and Iconium and then move further into Asia Minor and, and spread the gospel. What's always amazed me about Paul and Peter and John and James and Silas and Barnabas is their confidence. Their confidence just to, just to go do what God had called them to do, to do it consistently, to do it faithfully. I'd like to have confidence like that. Paul's confidence here is challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you that that we are to walk and to live in God's will. Now that's the big question, is it not? Is that not the question that you've had multiple times in your life? What is God's will for my life? How can I know what God's will is for my life? Well, when we look at Paul, whether he's got a, a master plan in the background or, or whether he, he's just launching out and, and letting the Holy Spirit lead him, and we're going to see some of this today, what, what, what is amazing to me is, is Paul's confidence and what God's will is for his life, and him walking in that. Do you, do you want that? I do. Because if I'm to bear fruit that abides, then it's going to be required that, that I walk in his will and know what that is. Oftentimes we approach God's will as though something is hidden. So God has it behind a curtain somewhere, and we have to dig and scratch and plead and beg. It's not the case at all. Sometimes it's mysterious. Sometimes we're not exactly here. God's will your life, my life, not only does God want us to know and understand what that is, He wants us to walk in it. Look at verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, Timothy is a new a new character that we're introduced to. And, of course, we, we know Timothy because he eventually becomes uh, the pastor of the church at Ephesus that hasn't at this point even been planted yet. But Timothy is going to become to Paul like a son. That's how close they're going to become. And apparently, Timothy came to faith in Christ as a result of Paul's previous visit to Lystra and Derby. We don't have that for certain, but that's one of the things we could we can derive is that he was, he was being raised as a Jew, but he had a father who was Greek. His mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. And at some point along the way, Timothy heard the gospel. Well, how would have Timothy heard the gospel in a community that had no gospel presence until Paul and Barnabas brought it there in their first missionary journey? So the conclusion is, is that Timothy came to faith in Christ through Paul and Barnabas' ministry while they were there or after they established a church and went back uh, to Antioch, Timothy came to faith in Christ. Now, there's been some years, some time that has passed from the time Timothy and Barnabas was there the first time to the time they returned. Some people say it's almost, it could be up to five years that has passed. I'm not sure if it was that long, but certainly quite a bit of time has passed. So Paul and, and Silas go back into Lystra and Derby, and they meet a guy that they've already been hearing about, and his name's Timothy. Timothy has already grown as a disciple since Paul and Barnabas were there the last time. Now, I want you to get this picture. 
that Paul and Barnabas established a church there, and that church has continued to not only reach people, but make disciples. You see, what's happening in these two areas that were absolutely completely Gentile is a church that is making disciples that are making disciples. Timothy is the result. That's what we talk about when we mean abiding fruit. So here is this disciple named Timothy, and he has a Jewish mother. Now, as far as the people in Timothy's life, when they looked at Timothy, they would presume that he was Jewish, and here's why. When he was, when he was born into this family, the Jews, and there were very few in Lystra and Derby, as we talked about last week, they would have viewed him as Jewish because of his mother's adherence to Judaism. Now, they would have looked at that marriage, and they would have discounted that marriage completely. They would not even have considered it to be a valid marriage because she had married a guy who was Greek. Now, why did she do that? Well, there's very few Jews who lived in Lystra and Derby, so she chose to marry this man. And the Jews believed that in a marriage such as this, that the son would be Jewish regardless of who his father is. What's interesting is, is that his father did not require him to be circumcised at a young age, obviously because he was not Jewish. So Timothy has an identity problem. The Jews would have viewed him as a Jew, but not a full standing Jew because he had never been circumcised. He had never had his flesh cut as an outward bodily image of that covenant relationship with God. Timothy's Gentile friends would have been also confused about Timothy as to who he really was. Are you a Jew or are you a Greek? You, you've not been circumcised, but, but your mother's a Jew, but your dad's a Greek. So, so Timothy has an identity problem here. And I, want to, I want you to notice what Paul does, and this is the first step, I think, in helping us to discern God's will. It says he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul approaches Timothy and asks Timothy to join him in his missionary journeys. So now you have Paul and you have this new guy Silas, and, and now you've got Timothy who's being asked to join Tim, uh, Paul's missionary team. Here's the stunning request. And he took him, took Timothy, and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now this is stunning on, on two levels. First of all, that, that Paul would require an adult to go through this, which would have been incredibly painful. But what's even more stunning is, is we just came out of the Jerusalem Council where it was stated very clearly that circumcision was not a requirement. So why is Paul turning right around, looking at Timothy and saying, okay, Timothy, you're going to join me on this missionary journey. You've got to be circumcised. Why would he do that? First of all, I want you to understand it had nothing to do with salvation. Timothy's already a disciple. It had absolutely nothing to do with Timothy's salvation, either gaining it or keeping it. So we can take that off the table. So why did Paul do it? Why did Paul ask this? We also find out that, that there are other people that joins, Paul, joins Paul's missionary journeys, Titus, for example, who was Greek, but Paul never asked him to be circumcised. So why would he ask Timothy, why would he add this back to Timothy? I think it has to do with not only his identity problem, that, that Timothy was not going to be very well accepted into the areas where Paul was going to go. And remember, 
one of Paul's uh, approaches or one of his plans or one of his techniques was that if he goes into an area, the first place he would go is to the Jewish synagogue. Well, it was already well known about who Timothy is and about his background and his identity. Paul saw it that it may be a hindrance not only to their ministry, but to Timothy's future ministry. Being able to reach those who are Judaism. What's interesting to me is that Paul asked Timothy to make a sacrifice for the sake of others. And here's where I find the first step trying to discern God's will. You see, we all have a tendency make life about us. We have a tendency right now, uh, especially with all of the uh, disarray and change of routines that we have in our community, that we can focus completely and totally on us, on our needs, what can become very, very self-centered, and I am guilty as anything. I can become very self-centered, very selfish. But isn't it interesting that that to join in in what Paul is doing and what the Holy Spirit's doing through Paul, he asked Timothy to make a sacrifice and even to undergo quite a bit of pain, not for the sake of himself, but for the sake of someone else. In your pursuit of God's will in your life, it's going to require you to put more attention on others than yourself. I find no way that I can be self-centered, self-righteous, self-focused, and yet at the same time be in God. I cannot, I cannot make those two things work together. Maybe you've tried. That, 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 that you want it your way. You want to you do things your way. You want to have life your way. But at the same time, Christ is saying, this is what I want for you. This is what is best for you. And we have that, that head-on collision between our will and God's will. And somehow we try to work out a deal. We try, to, we try to bring the two together and weld the two together where we can have it our way and God's way. And, and if, you're, if you're getting to the place where you're really wanting to know what God's will is and you're wanting to walk in it because you want to have fruit that abides in your life while the life, the life that you've got left, it's going to require you to release the control of your life. I mean, ultimately, isn't that what we're talking about, right? We want to live God's will. God's will meaning His plan, purpose, desires for our life, which are far better than our own. Remember what Paul said, verse that you've heard and maybe even quoted, maybe even committed to memory in Romans 12. He says that we are called to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Have you ever thought about the have you ever thought about how those two terms don't really go together, especially from a Jewish The only sacrifices they knew of in the Jewish context were dead. Paul talks about following Jesus as a living sacrifice. What does he mean by that? He means that daily there is this surrender of our will and the acceptance of God's will. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never come to that place of, of repentance and salvation, the, the, the same is true for you in that the first step of God's will is repentance, turning away from your old life, your old way of thinking, believing in Jesus, that that is God's will for your life. 
That's the first step of many, 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 many steps of surrendering. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not surrender. There, there is no way to follow Jesus and walk in His will without surrendering. And, and that surrender that He's asking you for is not only for your good, but for the sake of the people around you that He's calling you to reach. Sacrifice for the sake of others. You know, oftentimes down through my walk with Jesus, both in ministry and before God called me in ministry, there'd be these times where people would ask me, what do you think God's will is for your life? Or what do you think God's will is for my life? we begin to talk and there'd be these maybe combination of dreams and plans and everything else, but I notice that at certain points in my life, oftentimes those things that I say are God's will are actually mine. Sometimes they don't line up what God says is important to me or what He wants from me. Again, that goes back to that head-on collision, right? Day in and day out. What I want, what God wants. And sometimes those two match up. I know what a beautiful thing that is. We have a tendency for selfishness. Timothy here, what's amazing is his Timothy surrenders to Paul's entering into discipleship. And Timothy goes through with this great pain to himself. Look at verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached. So Timothy joins Paul and Silas, and they go from town to town and city to city, all through Galatia. They're in the area of Galatia. They're traveling through Galatia, up through Asia Minor. They're probably heading north, and eventually they're going to be heading west. But Timothy joins them, and the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. You know, Luke gives us that information ever so often. Look at verse 6. So if the, if the first step to understanding God's will is surrender and sacrificing things in our life that, that we're holding on to, and, and we let go of those things not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others, the sacrifice for others. Because it's always about the others. I hope you've seen that through, through this book, that, that everyone we've come in contact with is concerned about the others, the outcasts, those people out there. There, there is the selflessness that, that, that permeates the book of Acts, page after page after page. It's because of walking in God's will and following God's will for your life requires surrender for the sake of others. Secondly, I want you to notice what happens here. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Ferga and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That verse, that verse always, always gets my attention. And, I, and honestly, I haven't had the opportunity to dig into what's happened here. I've, I've read this verse many times as I read through the book, book of Acts, usually once a year. And I'd hit that verse and there'd be that pause. You know, you, you read God's Word and all of a sudden you pause for a minute. You go, what's that about? And sometimes we don't spend the time to dig into it. We just kind of keep on reading. If you're reading through the Bible a year or whatever, whatever your devotional process is, but this, this verse has always kind of stuck out to me because the first question I've got in my head is, is how did the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from going into this area? If you look at the maps of the back of your Bible or if you look it up on your app, you'll see that on the second missionary journey, there's a point in time where Paul and Silas and Timothy are heading north. And then they kind of hit this crest up in the other part of Galatia, and there's an opportunity for him to turn southwest. 
And, and you know what city was southwest of where Paul, I think Paul was about this time, southwest of where Paul and Timothy and Silas are at just happens to be the city of Ephesus. Now, the city of Ephesus is a key city for Paul. Now, no doubt Paul, we, we think about Paul's plans and his strategy, and, and no doubt he had one. And in and, and Paul's plans and in Paul's strategy, he's got his eyes set on Ephesus. I, I'm firmly convinced of that because Ephesus had a port. It was a man-made port that came into the city. Ephesus was a cultural diversity. Uh, I mean, it was an amazing city with a lot of people in it. And there were a lot of people traveling through Ephesus. So, so Paul, we can imagine, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit here, I, based on what I know about Paul's ministry in, in Ephesus, that Paul saw Ephesus as a strategic center for Asia Minor. So while he's in Galatia, he's setting his eyes on going to Ephesus and get something starting in Ephesus. But notice here, it says that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into those areas. I wonder how the Holy Spirit did that. How did the Holy Spirit prevent him? What was there? Was there some kind of vision? Uh, was there uh, a prophet that came by and spoke? Maybe we have nothing to indicate that. All we have is that word forbidden. Is it? Was there some kind of circumstances in their life that prevented them from going there? Look at look at what else happens. So when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, which is to the north. So so Paul tries to go southwest to Ephesus, I believe. He can't go that way. The Holy Spirit forbids him. And so then he looks north up to the, the big area of Bithynia, which is up north of Galatia. He says, we'll go up there. And guess what? It says here that the Spirit of Jesus stopped him. Now, this is interesting. I just find this very compelling. And, and when I begin to dig, dig into this, I, I found something really interesting. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4. It was right around this same time uh, that Paul is ministering in Galatia, in the region of Galatia. Now remember, Galatia is a very large area. There are a lot of different towns in the, the region of Galatia, or the province of, of Galatia. So the book of Galatians is to that particular region and the churches in that region. And I found something very interesting in, in Galatians 4. So he's talking about when he was there and when he was preaching and teaching in that area. And, and he, he wants them to know why he spent extra time in Galatia. Look at verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. Go back to Acts. I want to pose a question. And it's not entirely clear. I've got some, some commentators who, who bring this point up. So when Paul says to the churches at Galatia, hey, there, there's a reason that I, I stay with you and I, I taught you the gospel at first, is because I had a bodily ailment. In other words, Paul said, I stayed here with you because he had some kind of physical ailment that would not allow him to keep going any further. Could it be 
that one of the ways the Holy Spirit forbade, forbade him from going into other, other areas and the Spirit of Jesus preventing him from going north is because that Paul simply physically could not go any further. Would the Holy Spirit do that? Would the Holy Spirit use circumstances, get your attention, move you towards His will? Yeah, He will do that. So the second point is, how do, we, how do we hear and understand and know what God's will is? Well, first of all, it has to come through His Word. Listen, God's will for your life, the large majority, I'd say the 90% of the will of God for your life is right here. Especially in the New Testament, the New Covenant. That what God is asking you to do, what He's asking you to be about, what He's asking you to focus your life on, that what God is saying is priorities for your life as a Christ follower is laid out right here in the New Testament. Well, what about that other 10%? Well, certainly listening to God through His Word. There's going to be other people that God brings into your life that's, that's willing to disciple and mentor and equip and help guide you. But I'm going to tell you something. As I look back across my life, I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit has worked in circumstances so many times in my life to prevent me from going north, to prevent me from going south, to keep me moving in the direction the Holy Spirit would have me go. Did I have a choice in the matter? Absolutely. And there were times that I chose my own selfishness and my own things that delayed what God was trying to do in my life. But God will have his way, and, and the Holy Spirit will hem you in, will paint you into a corner. He'll use circumstances. He'll use circumstances to get your attention. Remind you, God's will for life. I can think of incredible amounts of circumstances just since I've been here at Hyde Park that, that you may think, wow, pastor has great discernment. And really what it was was a set of circumstances where there was really only one path forward, and it was the Holy Spirit saying, I'm closing off every other option except this option. And usually that option, the reason maybe I was rejecting it or resisting it is because it was going to inflict some pain. It was going to be hard. It was going to require suffering. So I'm looking for every other avenue, and the Holy Spirit just closes them all off through circumstances, through His Word, through other people's counsel. Paul here, it's possible that Paul can't go to Ephesus, and he can't go to Bithynia because he's sick. We don't know what the ailment was. But whatever it was was preventing him by the Holy Spirit it kind of painted him into a corner. So there was only one way for him to go, and that was west, the Troad. God's will's already been revealed. God's will's already been revealed. Right here in his word. Part of being a pastor is helping people discern God. Right? That's, that's what I'll do is to help you discern that and understand that. And come to me, and we're going to seek God's will together. The first place we're going to go is God's will. We want to listen to him there. And certainly we want to listen to people who are, who are godly people who have been following Jesus for a long time, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, what God wants to say through them to us. Sometimes we're not even looking for God. Sometimes we're not even really even concerned about it. Yet there is something in us as Christ followers, it says there's got to be more to life. 
you've gotten to in a place in your life where you're not even concerned about God, or you're just living for yourself, don't you don't you ever have that deep down urging? Maybe maybe it flows out of this brokenness that we're seeing in our world right now. But you ask yourself the question: There's got to be. Maybe you're just worn down with your job. You begin to ask the question: There's got to be more than just getting up, one work, coming home, fixing dinner, and looking forward to one vacation or two vacations a year. There's just got to be more. Well, you're asking those kinds of questions. What you're really asking: God, what is your will? God, God how can I have fruit in my life? It's abiding fruit. What you're really asking in those moments is, is God, what is your will for my life? And am I walking in it? Because it's in that place you find joy and peace. Perfect. Finally, I want you to notice what happens here. It says, so passing by Amisa, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul had seen the vision. I want you to underline this in your Bible, this one single word. And Paul had seen the vision immediately. Immediately. We saw it to go on with Macedonia. Final thing. Clarity and guidance comes to the ones who are already serving. Clarity and guidance comes to the ones who are already serving. So Paul, when he got a little bit maybe discombobulated by not being able to go southwest and not being able to go north when he when he got to this place where he couldn't go and do what he thought he should be doing you know what he did he just continued to serve where he was that's what he says in galatia in the letter to the church of galatia he says i continue to preach the gospel to you so so when there's a lack of clarity when there's a lack of understanding when there's a lack of clear discernment on on this is what God is asking me to do, then you know what you do in that moment? You don't quit. You don't stop. You don't sit down on the sideline. You continue to serve right where you are because God has already said, go make disciples. Baptize them. Disciple them. Teach them to obey. That's already God's revealed will for your life. So start there. God says to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your spouse as Christ loved the church and died and gave himself for it. To, to, to mentor and disciple and train your kids. You keep doing what you know God's will is until God reveals what that new step is in your, your career. That new step, maybe you're not married and you're, you're looking for that spouse and you, you're waiting and you've been praying and you're seeking God's will for who that person is going to be. Well, in the meantime, continue to serve and to love and disciple and share the gospel because... It's in that place of unclarity that Satan would love you just to sit down, stop. Just wait. Just wait for God to make it very clear. Don't do anything else. Just wait. That is a lie because I promise you, you'll never discern God's will by sitting on the sidelines. Paul just continues. We don't have a lot of indication of what he did in Troas, but I guarantee you this. From the place he left Galatia to the time he got to Troas, you know exactly what Paul and his team is doing, preaching the gospel, making disciples looking for opportunities to establish churches, doing what God had called him to do. There really is no sideline to sit down on. Clarity and guidance come to those who are already serving. So if we're going to sit down and talk about God's will for your life, the first thing we're going to talk about, what are you doing right now? 
you know God has called you. Every single disciple. Please, when I use the word called, please, please do not take that as a call to vocational ministry. You use that term, and the first thing that pops into people's minds is, is folks like myself and Pastor Bobby and Pastor Ryan and, and that calling to vocational ministry. Please don't hear in that terminology that you're, you're automatically saying, well, God's not calling. Maybe he is, but let's don't think about it only within that confines. God has a purpose for your life in his will but it begins by being obedient today to what you already know Christ has said for us to be about. I want to close here with Galatians 5. So turn back over to the book of Galatians. So Paul is going to head over to an entirely new region of work. Was there plenty of work to do in Asia Minor? Absolutely. That, that city, Ephesus, has not been touched yet. Paul is going to eventually make his way to Ephesus, and there will be a church planted there, and Timothy will be the pastor of that church. But it was not God's timing for Paul during this particular point in his journey. There was work that needed to be done in Macedonia. There was a ton of work that needed to be done in Asia Minor, but all in God's timing. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. These times that I, that I went to foreign countries and was there for quite a, quite a bit of time in each of these places that I've had the opportunity to go, and I had a guide, a translator, a friend, a counselor. I stayed right by their side. Because you know, when you're you're in a foreign country and you don't you don't know the culture, you don't know everything, you you stay right with your God, right? Because when you're not with your God, you get a little nervous because you can't speak the language, you don't know what's going on, there's that, that mystery of being in a place that you're unfamiliar with. And there was just something comforting when the when the God would show up at my hotel room the next morning, right? And we're ready to start day. I I would walk out of that room, I would walk out of that room in that foreign country where I did not know the language. And, and I, would, I would go wherever that God wanted to go. I, would walk, I, I didn't have any fear. I didn't have any trepidation. I, I would just go because there was something about the God that gave me confidence to go out into a place, to go out into the unknown. Guess what the Holy Spirit does for us every single day or offers to us every day? To give us that kind of confidence. The God is. So what Paul says is, is that if we're going to live by the Spirit, in other words, if we're going to live in God's will, then guess what that's going to require? It's going to require us to walk in step with our coach, our God, our comforter, our counselor. Walk with Him. And when we walk with Him, the world isn't as scary anymore. No fear. No fear is a is a growing, exponentially snowballing effect right now in our, in our community. And all that we're hearing, all that we're having to deal with. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on. And fear can grip our hearts. But I'm here to tell you, walking with, living in the Spirit, melts that fear away. You can, you can walk with confidence. Not only confidence to face a broken world, but confidence to know that that if you walk with the Spirit and you walk in lockstep with Him, your fruit is gonna, your life is going to bear fruit that abides. 
Is it that why we're here? Is it that the purpose of our life to, to bear fruit to the king and to his kingdom? Fruit that will last for all eternity? That would certainly be God's will for every Christ follower. That can only become a reality in your life by walking a step to guide the comfort. Father in heaven, I have to admit that so often I'm, I'm just ignorant about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Father, I have to admit that that's, of course, my fault, my own laziness. And Father, sometimes maybe there's just a fear of allowing the Holy Spirit to have control in our life because sometimes, Father, I'm a control freak and I like to try to control every possible outcome. Father, I know that walking with you, walking with the Spirit is going to require me to give up control, not just for the sake of myself, but for the sake of others. That, Father, that I would I'd be in your word and hear from you. That through other people and through circumstances and all kinds of things, you're, you're speaking, you're guiding. And, Father, that until we have that clarity that we're to serve and be faithful, Father, it all begins accepting the truth that, that we're not in control, that we don't know what's best. You do. Father, our desire is to walk with you to bear fruit, bear much fruit, fruit that abides. Father, for all those that are watching today, I pray that if your will for their life is something that they want for them, they're in this song, this time of worship, you would do the necessary work in our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.